It's beginning to feel a lot like Christmas around here. And so it is, so it is. Uh, on the 17th of December, the liturgy uh, of Advent changes uh, significantly. And instead of us contemplating the coming of Christ at the end of time, or the coming of Christ individually to us, we cons we, we, the Church turns its focus directly towards the preparation for the liturgical celebration of Jesus' birth in a stable at Bethlehem on Christmas Day. And therefore, traditionally, this is the day on which we begin to sing Christmas carols and do all the Christmas things. Even though it's not quite Christmas yet, Christmas is in the air, and you will hear it in the prayers of the Mass, that they're all about the coming of Christ, uh, because we can't help but begin to rejoice in this coming at this time. Today, we're continuing our parish, our diocesan retreat on the Kerygma, uh, as you remember, the Kerygma being the, the basic, fundamental, and synthetic announcement of the Gospel. Um, and we're, begin, we're, we're, continue, we're entering the fourth week of this retreat, and the, this week of the retreat has the title, Response. In the first week, we saw how God created the world in wonder and awe and beauty. Uh, he created the world to be beautiful, great, and to be the place in which love could dwell. His love could dwell, could dwell in us, and could dwell, uh, and that he could look over in love. But we saw that that plan of God was uh, was interdicted by the use of that gift which he gave us so that we could love, which was freedom. I mean, the sin that's described to us in the uh, Bible uh, as the sin of Adam and Eve, original sin, an original sin that puts us as human beings, leaves in us an a continuous inclination to try to set God aside and find our own way to what is good and what makes us happy. Um, this is the fall, and this is a great and terrible tragedy because so much that was given was lost in that fall. But from that moment, from that moment, and in the divine attention, which is eternal, it was God's plan that he would seek to reconcile the world to himself. And last week we contemplated that work, which is the work of redemption or rescue, as we've been saying during this retreat. God came to rescue his creature, to break his creature out of the bondage of sin, uh, in fact, to invade and conquer and lay waste the uh, dominion of sin so that his people could be free again. And now we come to this week, and the theme that we want to consider this week is our response to this, because our response, the word response, uh, to me, at least, every time I hear it, it sounds a tiny little bit, a tiny little bit activistic. It sounds almost a little bit as though we have to do it ourselves, as though in the end it really comes down to what we always wanted to come down, what we can do. Now it's us. Now we're going to respond. Here we take over. Yeah, God, that was all good, but now we're going to respond, and you're going to see how great our response is. But that's not the way we want to understand response. And if we understand response like that, um, we really haven't benefited from the coming of Christ at all, because the coming of Christ is the, is the giving of a, an even greater gift 
than the gift that was lost in the fall. Because in the coming of Christ, he gives us the possibility of returning to him and participating in a life that couldn't even have been imagined by Adam and Eve, a life of sharing in God's own very life. It's an extraordinary and a great thing which has been given to us by Christ. But because, as I explained at some length when we talked about the redemption, the, 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 the path that the Lord had to take to redeem us, that the, the, the path, the choice he had to make among the many ways in which he could redeem us was largely determined by the fact that he did not want to take away from us his most precious gift, which is that freedom, which Adam and Eve had used precisely to step away from him. But now he wants to bring something new to the world, which is that freedom, once again renewed, would be used now not to step away from him, but to say yes to him. And this brings us to the core of what it means to respond. The very core of our response to him is our yes, our yes to him. The fact that we accept, embrace, follow, and put our lives uh, in his hands, that we put our lives at his disposal. This is the response that he has come to receive from us. What he wants from us is the very opposite that he got from Adam and Eve. He wants that we take that gift of freedom that you and I have and that we use it instead of to say, no, God, I can do better myself to say, yes, Lord, give me life. I embrace and I accept the fullness of life that you give me and that you offer me. We have a prayer that we say, and I'd like to quote to you a small part of it and then kind of break it open for a little bit. It asks uh, that the Lord allow that the beginning of every day be a yes to the Lord who embraces us and makes fruitful the soil of our heart for the accomplishment of his work in the world. These few little phrases express in a beautiful and succinct way what we mean by response and what's contained in our response. So the first thing it says is that the beginning of every day be a yes to the Lord. So that's the first thing, that the beginning of every day, what does that mean? It means that we set out upon our day, it, we set out upon our day, not with uh, a thousand ideas in mind, but first and foremost with the idea that today I want to do your will, O Lord. Grant that today I might do your will, O Lord. I want to do your will today. To begin, every, to begin every day with a yes to the Lord is exactly that, that we lower our, that we, that we lower our defenses and that we embrace him entirely and completely. It doesn't automatically include the fact that, we, that in the day we might not forget, but at least beginning, at least the beginning of every day be that yes to the Lord. Father Giussani used to say that we need to say the yes of Mary in the morning and the yes of Peter in the evening. That's what the yes with which we want to begin the day is, the yes of Mary. And what was the yes of Mary? Well, we heard it uh, just a few days ago as we celebrated her immaculate conception. Um, Let it be done to me according to your word. 
I am the handmaid of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. The church has always treasured these words as as the greatest words spoken by human lips in response to the angel. I am the handmaid of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. And if we can get into that space, if we can get into that place where Mary said these words, available, accepting and embracing completely the life that God is giving us, then we are beginning our day with a yes to the Lord. We need to start by saying it. We need to start by saying it. Our day, our morning offering. If you say formal morning prayers that you find in a prayer book, one of your morning prayers will always be the morning offering. There are different versions of the morning offering, but it always has the same heart and the same content, and that is to bring our souls, our minds, and our wills uh, to that yes to the Lord. But then what does that yes to the Lord do? The words of that prayer go on. That the beginning of every day be a yes to the Lord who embraces us and makes fruitful the soil of our heart. And that's so profoundly true. When we uh, say yes to the Lord, he embraces us and he makes the soil of our heart fruitful. He makes it a good place. He makes it a place that is, is full of goodness, a goodness that extends out to all of those with whom we share our life, an experience of goodness and of divine love shared. I've often commented that the way the Christianity began to spread in the world was because of, you could almost call it envy. People started to say, I want what they're having. I want that life. I want to live like those Christians. Those Christians really have it. They know what it is to have a good and a great and a beautiful life. That's why. The people didn't, they weren't clobbered over the head and turned into Christians. They couldn't get into the doors of the church fast enough because the way they saw the Christians living in the midst of the Roman Empire and the rest of the pagan world was so beautiful, so true, so loving and so kind that everyone wanted in. So much so that the Germanic tribes north of the uh, frontiers of the Roman Empire sent envoys to Rome and said, send us some of those priest guys so they can tell us about this life, the life that Christ is giving. And that's how the evangelization of the Germanic peoples began. Because in response to that desire, St. Patrick landed on the Irish shores in in a a very sophisticated, sun-worshipping um, culture uh, that had its own legal system and everything. St. Patrick defied the high king whose privilege it was to light the fire on the, first, um, on the, on the 21st of December when the sun begun, began its return. St. Patrick went up on the mountain next to the one the king was on and 10 minutes before the king was going to light his fire, St. Patrick lit his fire. And the king, of course, said, go get that guy. That guy's going to die, right? But when he came, when Patrick was brought before the king, he explained. And the, the, the nation was converted like that. There was no internet. There was no text messaging. There was no telephone. There was no automobile. There were hardly even horses to ride. It all, the country was converted in a moment. 
The whole, the whole history of the conversion of the pagan world is like that. They did it because it was so advantageous. The Christian life was deeply advantageous when compared with the life without Christ. <coughs> he makes fruitful the soil of our heart. And then it goes on to accomplish his work in the world, which is the victory over sin and death, right? That's the second part of our response. And it's not really a second part. It, 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 it's something that is born out of the first part. It's a consequence of the first part. And that is the mission of the church. All of us who belong to Christ and live with him by, by that involvement in his life are are, are brought into the accomplishment of the mission of Christ. We become agents for the accomplishment of the mission of Christ. The fathers of the church were brave enough even to coin the phrase, alter Christus, other Christs. We who belong to Christ become other Christs. Christs for the world, Christs for our city, Christs for our home, Christs for our street, Christ for our nation, Christ for the world. We become other Christs, not because we have the divine nature as our own nature, but because we really have a share and a participation in that nature and discovering and knowing the delight and the wonder of life in Christ. We uh, are filled with joy and we radiate that joy. And those who see our joy, like the people of the ancient world, say, I want what he's got. I want what she's got. I want what they've got. That's what I want. How do I get it? That's still happening. That happens. I think there are six uh, catechumens who were never baptized in our program this year. Why are they here? They're here because of that. Because they like what they see. They like what this life adds to them. Well, the more we live this the more we live this yes to Christ, the more this life will radiate. And the more through us, the mission of Christ, the saving mission of Christ to the world will be accomplished through us, by Christ, through us. That is his plan. It was his plan from the very beginning. Go ye and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Make disciples of all nations. Tell, tell all nations of this message. Make them listeners to this message, uh, which will be to their advantage. And it's beautiful to read the history of the conversion to Christianity in the first centuries. An observation that's been made many times in these, in this, in these years in the life of the church, and that's even a part of our mission of our parish um, uh, retreat is this idea that the Christendom age is over. And I don't think this is a thing that's, e that's hard to agree with. Christendom was a world in which everything was based. You just supposed that your neighbors and all of those around you were Christians. Maybe they were, in this country there were different denominations, but we all believed in Christ. And everyone had Christ as a kind of a, a standard reference. And you didn't have to justify that that was just that was the way it was that was the society in which we lived 
I don't think it's a secret to anyone here that's no longer like that. It's no longer like that. There is no supposition anymore about the, uh, the value of Christ, about the desirability of Christ, about belief in Christ. It all has to be won over now. And that, as we say, puts us much more back towards what we could call an apostolic age, where it's more like those first centuries now. It's more like that pagan island or that, those German tribes north of the, north of the Rhine um, and west of the Rhine. It's more, it's more like east of the Rhine. It's more like those days now. We have to win our own credit, right? We can't leverage the Christian faith anymore because when you try to leverage it, it moves. It's no longer solid there. So we have to win we have to win it all by the wonder, beauty, and evidence that's inherent in our discipleship and our living the life of Christ. It's inherent in our life. And that's why I say it's not really a second point. It's born from the first point. It's the second point in as much as it can be considered as a consequence. And therefore, it can be considered Roman letter 1, Roman letter two, but in actual fact, they're both born in the same movement, in the same movement of our response to the initiative of Christ, which he draws us to. Even our response is the fruit of an initiative of his grace, which he accomplishes in us through the beauty and the attractivity that we see in the Christian life ourselves. An old Monsignor, maybe some of you have heard of him. I think there's a couple of his books down in the bookstore. Uh, but he was a good friend of mine, Monsignor Albacete. Um, Monsignor Albacete, when he'd, see, when he'd see Christians in the pews, he'd see maybe someone in their 20s or early 30s, uh, he'd say, I don't care. He was, really, he was really dramatic. But he'd say, I don't care. Why, I don't want to, I'm not interested in why... Uh, the million people who aren't here aren't here. I'm interested in why you are here. That's what's interesting for the world. What's interesting for the world is that you are here. And if you can communicate to the world why you are here, that's how the new evangelization takes place. By you communicating to the world why you're here. And my friends, that is the, that is the life that we're living now. The life that we're living now is the light, the life of witness, witness. By our lives, we witness to the great and extreme beauty of God uh, and his initiative to save us in his son, our brother, our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the mission, um, and this is the response to which we belong. We do not need to make big plans. We simply need to Enter into this yes about which I spoke. I'll repeat those words one more time. The beginning of every day should be a yes to the Lord who embraces us and makes fruitful the soil of our heart for the accomplishment of his work in the world, which is the victory over sin and death. My friends, this is the work. This is the task. I'd like to pre-announce an initiative that we're going to be doing uh, in the next fall, well, starting in September next year. Maybe some of you have seen that book, uh, Return, 
done by the Word on Fire uh, by Father Barron's organization. Uh, it's a book about uh, how um, especially parents of children who are no longer practicing the faith can work and endeavor uh, to bring their children back uh, to the faith, right? So we're going to do a work on that. We're going to do like a six-week uh, work on that, a little bit like what we did the last three weeks in the parish mission. We'll have a similar format and a similar schedule, um, but we're going to do that as one of the ways in which we can help each other to be those witnesses to bring uh, back uh, the love of God to the world. So let us ask that from our freedom, which God has always wanted to protect and save because it's the root of our humanity and it's what makes us more than the animals. Um, that freedom, that freedom which he gave us, he wants that that freedom be used for a yes and not for a no. The no is disappointing. The no is destructive. The no is dark. The no brings night. The yes brings life. The yes brings joy. The yes brings light. Let us ask, let us beg the Lord that he may win us over to himself and, and to that yes. And that that yes become more and more every day, the beginning of each day in that yes of Peter, uh, of Mary, and that may end, sorry for our faults, but ready to move forward with the yes of Peter by the Sea of Genezareth when he said, yes, Lord, you know I love you, even though he had betrayed him. Let us ask that our life may always move between this yes of Mary, innocent, pure, and full of good desire, and Peter, full of sorrow for sin, but yet just as much powerfully and actively a yes. Let's ask that our life may live between these two yeses as our response to the initiative of the Lord our God.